Off the Ball with thanks to Ford. This season, we're not playing by the rules. We're exceeding expectations. Now as standard, Ford, go further. All right, a very good evening to you. Welcome along this Friday evening to Off the Ball. It is the final weekend of the Six Nations, so we're talking about uh, rugby. Keen, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Jer. Carl Parkinson, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Jer. Brian O'Driscoll, welcome to the studio. Yeah, good to be back as always. Tell me, uh, chasing points on the final day of the Six Nations, but not knowing how many points you need. It's mm. kind of a weird, horrible situation to be in. Yeah. Um, it is nice for England to know exactly what they have to do. Wales go out and, and set a marker. Uh, Ireland have a chance to catch that. And then it's in England's hands. It, you know they'll think they'll be talking about that this week and think, you know, all we could have asked for going into the last day is that destiny's in our in our own hands. Yeah. So it is a tough one for for Ireland, but just try and rack up as many as you can. A win and B rack up as many as you can. Like Astor was talking about, uh, certain team leaders will be told the score from the earlier game, and they'll you know and they'll be told what to do. I was thinking, really, the rest of the players won't know how many points. Of course they will. I was yeah, like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if a big if a big score is posted though it might put pressure on you to, you know to go for tries early and it will change your, no it will change your mindset if, if say Wales put up a cricket score and you know, the other teams had to chase 15 or 20 well yeah you you know if you're not, build, uh, you're uh, not uh, building up no you still you can still get 20 from kicking goals but I think you've got to, you've to get a feel for how the game is going and you know if penalties are kind of on the on the Miserable side, maybe you need to start thinking about kicking into corner and using your malls and stuff. So strengths yeah. that England also have. So um, we, yeah, we, it'll be um, it's going to be a good afternoon's rugby. We don't tend to go to Scotland and hammer them. We like we've mm. hammered them ceaselessly here with a couple of terrible exceptions. But uh, it's a grim enough place to go and play Scotland when O'Flair Scotland is ringing out. Yeah, um, we've obviously last time we went over there was. Um, was not good memories. Um, we do tend to, if we are going to win, kind of scrape by in, in a one-score game. I fancy it'll be maybe a little bit more than that. We might get a nine or ten-point advantage, but I don't know if that's going to be enough. Probably yeah. not, because um, France are terrible. France are really poor. Like they're they're really shockingly poor. Although, you know, as as Wally was saying earlier, um, they they're pretty good at. You know, defensively not conceding that many scores, but I fancy England. You know, last last day of Six Nations in Twickenham, been second a couple of times. Uh, yeah. Good opportunity for them to, you know, get the crowd on side before the World Cup and put in a big performance. I think they have one in them. Yeah, it's a test of their bottle, really, as well. Like this is a new team and a bunch of young players who've been trusted by the the coach. So. They're going to have to prove it. Yeah, they do, and um, they they probably they definitely took a step back against us, and so, so some big questions were asked, and not too many guys answered them. So they came back uh, last weekend, and some reasonable performances, not not fantastic by any stretch of the imagination, but they um, they do have some talented players, and yeah. I think another you know it's a bit of a make or breaker from 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 going towards the World Cup and. and setting down a marker for their capabilities of winning it but I just think that they will have uh, too much for a, a, a poor French team First text of the evening Is it hard to care about the championship with the Grand Slam gone? Good harder question. Harder Yeah Particularly, oh, Just off the back of having won <coughs> the championship last year definitely if you hadn't won one for a few years yeah. Yeah. championship would still mean a huge amount but um, you know, with, it, with, it, with one in, in your back pocket from last year you, um, you know, guys were desperate to win the Slam Colin was basically like championship means nothing 
slammer slammer bust. It does look like that the way the TV, like we're saying, you know, that England shouldn't be able. It does devalue the championship that all the last day's games aren't on at the same time. You know, that would add to the excitement of it. But it's great too that the three games are still all live. Yeah. So you can look at it that way too. <laughs> that you've got you, you you start watching rugby at half twelve or one, yeah. and all three of them have the capabilities of having uh, their own uh, stories yeah. yeah an outcome on or having a, a result of the, of the outcome of the tournament yeah it, I, I do think it devalues the whole championship <laughs> <laughs> as right you said <laughs> I hear what you said you haven't changed my mind that went in one ear and out the other <laughs> I'll only be watching the air again <laughs> Keen. Uh, well, uh, Ireland's bid for uh, back-to-back Six Nations titles uh, has taken them to Edinburgh ahead of uh, tomorrow's game against Scotland. Joe Schmidt's side held a uh, run out at Murrayfield this afternoon as they prepare for what will be the middle act in tomorrow's trilogy. Wales will be first out of the blocks, of course, as they target a big win. Uh, Ireland will be hoping to beat uh, Scotland and then put pressure on England to do likewise against France in the final match of the evening. Despite losing his place in the starting side to Luke Fitzgerald, Simon Zebo was training with the rest of the Irish squad today, having travelled over to Edinburgh as cover Keane Healy will also start tomorrow after replacing Jack McGrath in the wake of last weekend's loss to Wales and second row Devon Toner says there's a determination within the squad this week to make amends for how they performed in Cardiff It's a week for rallying the team together um, kind of like I'm not saying we're, we're I didn't say I'm not going to say we, we lacked passion last week but I think we, we just got to we just got to put the head down and, and, and kind of meet them meet them front on this week Um in defence we didn't come off the line against Wales we let them we soaked tackles we kind of let them get over the gain line so I think we just got to kind of get in their faces a lot this week last week they had a lot of good battle carriers and I just I can't put my finger on it to be honest like I'm not like we, we, we know we were up for it we know we were prepared for it we just there was just that cutting edge that we that, that we were lacking um, and we just kind of kind of fell by the wayside that's a tortured Devon Toner there <laughs> that's he didn't quite put his finger on it. It's been a a long week for them, I'd say. Future as a pundit. um. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kieran says the French team to play England don't look like world beaters, but to be fair, neither did the team that made it to the World Cup final. You can never be sure with them. A point equally appropriate for England in the World Cup final that they reached when they got hammered in the final as well. Uh, Why is Bernard Jackman pretending to be Devon Toner? Comes a text. And a half twelve kickoff tomorrow for Wales. Jesus, that's going to be a long day in the pubs. As Robbie and Stillorgan, I won't have a breeze. What's happening in the England game? Half one in Rome. In fairness, gives them an extra hour. Uh, yeah, okay, but still, yeah, I mean, it's still a big ask here. I know. Half twelve in the pub and Stillorgan, he's going to be in that. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't think Wales are relying too much on his head, though. In fairness, You're, you've got to go to the ground for tomorrow. If he wants to go handy on himself, he should fly out to Rome yeah, yeah. tonight. Yeah, yeah. Give himself a break. <laughs> the uh, Irish under-20s uh, the first team into action this weekend Nigel Carroll's side have made the trip to Netherdale to take on their Scottish counterparts Ireland start the weekend in third but can't claim the title which will be decided tonight between the top two England and France a kickoff is at half past seven the Irish women's team also facing a similar scenario to the men heading into the final weekend of the championship head coach Tom Tierney's named an unchanged side ahead of Sunday's game at Broadwood Stadium choosing to keep faith with the side that put 20 points on Wales last weekend as they go in search of their second championship in the space of three years the team has one major advantage they'll be playing in the final game of the weekend Tierney's given us the lie of the land 
England have France uh, in Twickenham after the, the big game on Saturday, so um, so we'll know exactly how that one goes. If uh, if England win, we just have to beat Scotland um, by anything, whatever it is. If uh, if France win, then it comes down to points difference. At the moment, we're twenty points uh, worse off than France. So if um, if you know if, if if it came down to points difference, we would actually have to win well and win yeah. very very well in Scotland, which you know you know is possible, but you know it's uh, it's, it's it's a dangerous one as well. At Dundalk, Drogheda United and Shamrock Rovers all looking to continue their 100% starts to the new Electricity League Premier Division. Dundalk's title defence faces another stiff challenge tonight as Pats visit Oriel Park while Drogs have made the trip to face Goal United. There's an 8 o'clock start at the Tallis Stadium where Shamrock Rovers go up against Cork City in the pick of tonight's games in the First Division, or in the Premier Division I should say. Meanwhile, a newcomer's Cabin Tilly United will host Shelburne at Stradbrook in the First Division, UCD at home to Athlone Town and Finn Harps have made the trip to the RSC to face Waterford United. It's one game in the championship as well. Derby County can revive their promotion hopes when they visit uh, Wolves. Apart from that game in Tala, all of tonight's matches kick off at 7.45. And meanwhile, FIFA's announced a package worth 209 million US dollars that will compensate clubs for the release of players for the next two World Cups. Just 70 million dollars compensation was offered for last year's tournament in Brazil and 40 million for South Africa in 2010. The new deal, though, will cover the 2018 World Cup in Russia and the winter tournament to be held in Qatar in 20. 22. Meanwhile, FIFA President Sepp Platter believes that the all-conquering power of the beautiful game will also bring peace and prosperity to the former Soviet bloc in time for 2018. The World Cup in Russia will be able to stabilise all the situation that in this region of Europe, because it's part of Europe, all this region is suffering now. I'm sure that football is stronger than any other movement. He said while some Russian operatives held a gun to his, his balls underneath the table. I'm like, what? It's going to bring peace to Russia. Oh, Seth Blatter. It's a powerful movement though, Jared. It on. is. Uh, Wales playing first is a massive disadvantage. Even if they score 50, you'd expect either Ireland or England knowing what they have to do to get the big win they'd need. See, I'm not sure I agree with this because there's a whole clubhouse leader aspect to this. You get in, you post your score and then everybody has to go, ooh, I've got to get there. Yeah, US Open posted early. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, listen. You can spin it whatever way you want to. I, you know, if Wales went and and scored fifty or sixty, which they are capable of doing, uh, as Parisi less uh, or uh, an Italian less Parisi, Parisi less Italian even. <laughs> um, I get it eventually, but um, you know they they've they're struggling at ten. They've lost their centers. They've nothing to play for. They've got their one win. Yeah. So um, there's definitely scope for Wales if they played anything like they did last week against us. Uh, putting 50 or 60 on them in 07 um, when Ireland played that brilliant game in, in Italy that mm. day is that a in the list of regrets is that high up there there was no championship at that point because yeah. that would have been a breakthrough championship yeah I think it would have been um, I, I don't think it would have affected our World Cup preparation <laughs> that summer we still would have gotten that wrong and almost lost to Georgia um, but I felt as though that team did deserve it, and yeah, it is high on the on the list of of regrets. I think we've chased extra scores that we didn't possibly need, as it transpired. But we weren't to know that at the time. Yeah. We thought Scotland were going to take a little bit more of a beating than they did to to France.
Yeah, Eddie Sullivan was on with us during the week and he, he distinctly remembered one specific incident at the end of the game which he was like, yeah, somebody tried to pass, didn't need to try, went the length of the field, 14-point turnaround and that cost us the championship. <laughs> I was like, well, that was pretty succinct. <laughs> Nothing like Eddie to be <laughs> direct. <laughs> uh, Rory McIlroy matched his previous best with a streak of five consecutive birdies today at the Arnold Palmer Invitational after struggling to get to grips with the course at Bay Hill yesterday. The world number one's now stormed into contention heading into the weekend. Despite a late bogey, McIlroy signed for a six under par six which leaves him eight under and tied for fourth at the moment. Morgan Hoffman improving on yesterday's 66 with a round of 65 today and it gives him a three-shot lead at the moment on 13 under. Portia Carrington enjoyed a strong start to his second round but a run of three consecutive bogeys after the turn meant he eventually had to settle for a 71 which has moved him to five under heading into the weekend. Graham McDull and Shane Larry both missing the cut though finishing level par and one over respectively. Meanwhile Simon Thornton is the leading Irish player on two under after... Uh, the two shots off the lead after the weather hit Madeira Island Open the first round suspended now because of bad light Any idea why McElroy is so consistently able to play badly and then burst back into uh, genius the next the next day No um, He just he forgets just, Yeah but as well as you know his cards are rarely rarely one colour you know, or or two colours, you know, beige for pars and red for birdies. There's yeah. always a blue thrown in there for an old double bogey. Just it just it's it's the excitement of eagles and doubles. And it never phases him. Mm. And he knows he knows gone down to the last you know, there's four holes left. I need to birdie all four of these. That's a, there's a shout that he's going to do it or birdie three of them. Like that's that is massive belief in 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 your ability. Yeah, and obviously it just comes from the fact that he's capable and has done it so often. Mm. At this point, from this remove, is he going to win the Masters? Do you think? Um, he's he's come he's coming at it the right way, a little bit more under the radar. Um, but there's still got to be this insane uh, hype surrounding it. He'll win it at a time. I don't know if it's going to be this year because he could easily win this week, and suddenly the hype is explodes again. Yeah. I think this guy Hoffman's granny died on Wednesday and then went out and shot 66 and now mm. 65. So Maybe it's written for him this week. Mm. Uh, Cricket Ireland officially on the hunt for a new head coach. Phil Simmons has confirmed that he's uh, taken up an offer to take charge of his native West Indies at the end of their World Cup campaign. The 51-year-old's been hugely successful at coach for Ireland for the last eight years, steering them to 11 trophies during his time in charge, as well as helping the team qualify for every ICC World event available to him to them rather during that time. A Cricket Ireland CEO Warren Dutram says they'll now begin the search for a successor who will help Ireland achieve their goal of playing test cricket by 2019. Meanwhile, Australia booked their place in the World Cup semi-finals this morning with a six-wicket win over India in Adelaide. Australia's hopes of chasing down 214 to win looked as though it might be in danger when they were reduced to 59 for three before Steve Smith and Shane Watson combined to secure victory with more than 16 overs to spare. Uh, another Madrid derby was the main headline from this morning's draw for the Champions League quarterfinals in a repeat of last season's final. Atletico Madrid will once again face their arch rivals Real. PSG will face Barcelona while Monaco clash with Juventus and FC Porto go up against Bayern Munich. Also in football, Raheem Sterling's agent has told Liverpool that the player just wants to concentrate on his football between now and the end of the 
this season. The 20-year-old's current deal expires in 2017 and talks between player and club have dragged out throughout the season amid rumours that he is being targeted by Real Madrid. In his weekly press conference today, Brendan Rodgers confirmed negotiations have now been suspended until the end of this season. And no such uh, suspension for Michael Carrick, who's going to remain a Manchester United player beyond the current campaign. He's agreed a new one-year contract extension at Old Trafford. He would have been out of contract this summer. Uh, Claire's Brendan Bugler has been suspended for two matches after sending off against Dublin last weekend. Bugler appealed his dismissal but the Central Hearings Committee found that the evidence proved wa- uh, provided wasn't sufficiently compelling to contradict the referee's report so he'll now miss Sunday's trip to Kilkenny which Cl- Cl- Claire need to win uh, to reach the quarterfinals. Also King McCarthy's quit the Cork hurling panel. The son of uh, legendary dual player Ter- Teddy has been a member of the Cork squad since 2008 but he has struggled to secure a starting place in recent seasons. And finally for me, Jared, this year's uh, German uh, Formula 1 Grand Prix has been officially dropped by the FIA, meaning the calendar has been reduced to 19 races. There was confusion over whether or not uh, the Nürburgring, which was expected to stage the event, had a contract for it. And Hockenheim uh, said that they weren't able to make the necessary preparations in time to step in. All right, just some um, news coming through from the Guinness Pro 12. Pat Lamb has been fined eight grand with five grand suspended for the comments that he made. Uh, questioning the integrity of one of the assistant referees for the match that Connacht played on the 6th of March against Cardiff Blues, Leighton Hodges. You might remember this was the one where he complained mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Hodges had said something about... Uh, Out the car park. Yeah. Said, uh, <laughs> for a previous game at the sports ground. Yeah, yeah. oh, it's going to cost your team seven points. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Lamb was like, well, this is... this is." Well, what did he compare it to? It was some serious thing. What's the thing? Anyway, I'll look it up. But... Uh, Oh yeah, calling a bomb in the airport. That was the, this is the equivalent to uh, somebody <laughs> at security <laughs> joking that they had a bomb in their suitcase. <laughs> and it, it turns out that the organisers of the uh, Pro 12 disagreed with him, and they've uh, fined him eight grand with five suspended. So it's only a three grand fine in the end. Maybe the best three grand contract I've ever spent. I don't know. Does it? Does it just can't be doing that kind of thing. I think that referee was a, a linesman as well and gave a really bad decision against Connacht. So it, at the end of the game, after that, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it he told me. that joke in the car park before he did that. He did. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what, what should I do with you? <laughs> the sequence of events was the joke and then the bad decision, at which point the joke was brought up. So. Yes. Yeah. All right. 53106, our text number. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us here at Off the Ball. With the Six Nations coming to an end, Leinster's European Champions Cup quarterfinal with Bath is just around the corner. And along with our friends at Heineken, we're back in the road ahead of this game for a very special Off the Ball Rugby Roadshow on Wednesday, the 1st of April. That's April Fool's Day. It's just a coincidence. Three days before the game, we're going to be broadcasting live from the TLT Theatre in Drogheda with Brian and loads of other great guests. If you'd like to be part of the action, text the word Heineken to 53106 along with your name and we'll be in touch next week this is an over 18s event drink Heineken sensibly visit drinkaware.ie we're talking what the hell went wrong in the Millennium Stadium and what do we need to do right at Murrayfield in a couple of minutes time after this ad break you can text us your questions for Brian 53106 we want your opinions You know, my opinion is only one opinion in, in, in the world of GA. Then I, I thought I was entitled to give my opinion. Everyone else was giving their opinions. As usual, people get upset by it. People have an opinion and they're entitled to it. Where's the evidence that you would have fractured? Well, it's just my opinion, but like I said, there's no but evidence. Is there any evidence for it? People have different opinions, different stuff. That's no problem. That's the way life is. Everyone's the same. It's boring, you know? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Thank you.
Off the ball, with thanks to Ford. This season, we're not playing by the rules. We're exceeding expectations. Now as standard. Ford, go further. All right, we're talking rugby. Um, what did go wrong at the Millennium Stadium? Um, we got beaten to the 50-50s. Um, we weren't as accurate as we had been in other games. And we came against up against a, a Welsh team that were defensively superior than our attack game. Um, I don't think we'll see a defensive performance like that from a side for a long, long time. To have to make 289 tackles or whatever the stats were um, is unheard of. And um, all, all the stats should have pointed to an Irish victory, but um, just shows... You know, I, th- I think Wales outfoxed us a little bit. I think they, they threw up... Um, jumpers and lineouts when we weren't anticipating it they were very good on the kick contest I think they kicked better than us positionally were very good I think for the, for large parts they dominated us kind of nearly all over the field and yet we should have gotten a draw out of it That would be the most concerning thing that I would have thought when you do have all those stats and you do have all those opportunities and it feels like you know you have your foot on the throat of the op- opponent but still they beat you and it's but sometimes you have days like very few teams can defend without giving away a penalty for 32 phases. Very few teams. And so some days you just have to realize this is not for, you know, this isn't one for us. Particularly that last, that last uh, line out and, you know, how the mall collapsed short of, of the line. Um, another referee at different positioning could he have called them pulling it down. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's the, the margins are, so minute they really are and we talk about this the whole time about them at the highest level margins being nothing and that's why you have to keep in check you know it's, it wasn't the worst game ever from an Irish perspective yeah if if we had driven that over and kicked the goal and it was 20 all draw people would be talking very very differently this week and so just because we didn't manage to do that doesn't mean that it's all doom and gloom and that a championship woolly isn't worth playing for <laughs> it still very much is you know we don't have a million championships in us so it's um i think i i'm less worried about going to scotland off the back of the of the welsh result i thought this was a potential banana skin if we were looking for a slam there yeah. i now feel a lot more confident that were in some way released of from the pressure or and that you know Scotland are looking at the wooden spoon you know us coming over to them that's really that's them their that's their bread and butter of coming and just disrupting they're a disruptive team they 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 don't they, you know the the Scotland team that I've I ever played against and won through the 2000s is are, are a team of spoilers rather than a team of generating a lot of play yeah. a lot of easy on the eye football it's, they live off scraps they live off counter-attack and penalties and you know it's, that's why the games are, are very rarely easy on the eye yeah they're, I, Keith Wood described them as being horrible to play in yeah they are you just know it's they're you know pretty ferocious come rook time particularly over there they seem to to, to ramp it up and I don't, I don't ever remember go, coming off, you know, the, the pitch in uh, in Edinburgh and go. That was a great game to be involved yeah. in. It was just. I'm glad we've got our result. Did we um, play Wayne Barnes wrong as well? Was that one of the things that we didn't get right? Yeah, I, I think so. Probably. I think he. I, I think our frustrations got the better of us a little time. I think, in fairness to Paulie, you know, he had the scope to talk to him, and you could tell that he didn't agree with some of Wayne's decisions. Um, we didn't play him brilliantly in that we 
the lads would have known going in, they would have done analysis on Barnes and would have known that one of the really hot things is that he's going to ping someone early on, probably in the first minute or two, for not rolling away at the tackle. So if you're um, in the def- if, if you're defending at the time, make sure you're not the first one to give it away. And we did. And then we gave um, two other similar penalties away and another one. And, and before we know it, we're 12 points down. I also think that there were too many voices talking to him. Some guys, some referees don't react well to that. They don't like guys constantly chirping. And the days of scrum halves being, you know, having flailing arms in the air and, you know, calling at every rook what's going on, the infringement's going on. Referees are gone from that, of, yeah. of accepting that. So you have to, uh, silence is the best thing. And you, you, um, you know, Wales didn't, you couldn't really hear that many of them talking, whereas you could hear one or two uh, voices from, and, and I know Sean O'Brien is quite a high-pitched voice, so you probably hear him a bit more. And he is a great talker for Ireland, and then he's, that's a really important part of his game. But I could, he- I could hear him chatting to Wayne and giving out about a few things. And when you, when they're not going your way and you keep going at them, it, it tends to bed down a, a bad foundation. Yeah, all in all, though, actually, he was relatively fair because yeah, I, I, I didn't have that much of a problem with with the way. Be- the way he refereed. I think he refereed the two halves very differently. I think he looked at... Um, he he was hot in, on those penalties early on and he pinged us. But then he also pinged Wales three or four times. And, you know, it, it was a ballsy call to stick the, the Welsh captain in the bin before, you know, on the half hour mark. But, you know, he, he had warned him and then he, he stood up to the plate and, and he gave him a yellow card. So I, I wouldn't have had any issues. The, the, the annoying thing is that I wonder at half time, did he go in and look at his stats and see seven penalties each and maybe think Janie you know someone's up in the stand marking my uh, my assessors up there looking at my performance and um, do I need to just keep it down because referees not like to be seen to be you look at someone like uh, Nigel Owens always loves low penalty counts because they're fluid games and, and better to watch yeah. so referees want to keep the, the, the penalty count in the low teens I was reading before the lines uh, the last lines and and Gatlan said he picked Warburton as captain purely for his ability, you know, to talk to referees and he's a good rapport with them. How important is that, you know, to get a good rapport? And can it, like, it obviously does affect their decisions. Yeah, it, how it was good always, is Warburton you know, it was at very, it? He is good. Um, it was very hard getting having a rapport with the referee, trying to referee from the centre. It's not the place to do it. Yeah. You need to be um, probably either in the second row or in the back row, maybe half back. But beyond that, there, there really isn't a place for, for, for a captain anywhere else because you're either too far away from the play or your head st- stuck too much involved in it. Um, but Orbiton is a, has a nice manner about him. He's um, he's he's softly spoken um, and isn't an, an antagonistic sort of person. So I'd imagine that referees probably quite like him. And he, he, he doesn't refute. Um, decisions very often he, yeah. I'll take them on board and slow play down just ask a referee what it was so I, I, I would say he probably does play them quite well Yeah because Wales definitely there's a, a noticeable difference N- none of the Wales players were asked you know contesting any of the decisions only just leave it to him because he's good at it But it's the, that's the, the age of like how many times you heard a referee change in their mind yeah. so I know it's hard when the frustration gets the better of you and I you know, was guilty in my time of, of you know letting letting yourself bubble over too much and but what it only ever does is it just annoys the referee and so if you can take a step back from it and just and challenge what it was and go okay fair enough um, 
because then eventually you know, he'll come good for you too. Um, a couple of things. When when those first couple of penalties are, are going against us and the, the game flow is very much on their side, why didn't someone fake an injury or do something to interrupt the pattern? I know obviously it's very easy here asking that question, but like... Mm. Yeah, we, there, there was... At Leinster there used to be a call... Um, Victor Costa was known as Ned so he was a good person going down it was called Ned's Dead Classic. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, yeah just to, to, to a Munster where Frankie Sheehan I saw him on many an occasion <laughs> you know going down and, and talking about you know having the magic sponge brought over for his calf or whatever but sometimes you do you just need to calm things down and try and break the, the, the sequence of how the game is going and, and, and try and slow that momentum down a little bit I, I I think we were all shocked that it, you looked at the scoreboard and there were 12 minutes gone. It was, there were 12 points in the scoreboard. thought, how, how did that happen? Yeah. But you, st- you still always felt as though Ireland had the capabilities because they hadn't done any playing. When they did play, they'd cause Wales trouble. And sure enough, that, that was right. Then the question that everybody wanted us to ask as well is when the ball is under the posts and we have 25 people out wide and they have won whose job is it to kind of notice this and get it out there and, or how does that happen? Well, you try and, you try and, uh, it's loud in, in the millennium. I, 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 it's the loudest um, rugby stadium I've ever played in. Particularly, I know the roof is open but roof closed, you can't hear anything. Yeah. Um, so, communication is an issue but at the same time, you know, sometimes when you're first receiver out there, you're shouting at getting the, the the ball out to you and you're very animated. But as soon as you do that, the defence who are in around the rooks see, see how excited someone's getting about wanting the ball and they start panning out. So it's a, it's a fine line between trying to get your message in but not being overly <laughs> enthusiastic. But can you believe what... We've got four guys outside here and yeah, there's no yeah. one. So it is, it's a tricky one. Um, it didn't help too that Redden was at the bottom of the rook at that point. Well, no, that was, it didn't. I think you know, he, he, he probably would have seen it a little bit more clearly because... With the greatest respect, forwards back themselves from a yard or two yards, and why wouldn't you? You know, a lot of, you, you get a lot of success and, and try scored that way. But sometimes you have to, you know, see the bigger picture of realizing you have to make three passes rather than a, a really tough one meter to get to the line. Yeah, three passes is a guaranteed score and back your skill set. So look, we've lost this game and the grand slam is gone. Um, but obviously, and we kind of made the point and have been making the point over the whole course of this thing that the World Cup is our... It's, it's a World Cup year, yeah, so ultimately that's what's important. What will Schmidt have learned and what will the players have learned from that situation and those various situations in the game where you come up against a Wales team who are outthinking you and their aggression is manic? Are there specific things they're going, next time this happens, we need to do... Is there a range of that stuff or is it just game experience? I, I, I think, it, I, you know, we, we made, we were inaccurate with a lot of our stuff. So when your set piece is inaccurate, it's, you're living off a lot of scraps. And yeah. there weren't, a lot of the time there aren't that many line outs against Wales. They don't kick the ball out themselves um, very often unless under absolute massive pressure. So, you know, you, you don't expect that many. But when you do, it's a great launch pad. And we co- we didn't have any of that. So we need to go back and fix our line out for this weekend, first and foremost. Um, that's why people talk about, you know, what, why is there such a hoo-ha about set piece? Set piece is massive because it's, you know, the knock-on effect of, of turnover ball or winning penalties at scrum time 
can mean the ball kicked 50 metres down the pitch and, and territory gained on your behalf. Yeah, so The lift Warburton got from turning over that line out, the lift Wales got was you massive. You could see they were all, all energised. Yeah. They all came running in from the wing and, yeah. and you know, and, and that, that was just, it didn't matter where that kick went. It just felt this palpable sense of relief around the stadium, the team, and, you know, a bit of a sigh from the Irish team thinking there was a great opportunity yeah. missed. So the game does swing on those on those um, momentous occasions, and um, that you know you look at it was a seven point game. We didn't manage to get our try after thirty two phases. They went down there, and after twelve or thirteen phases, got theirs. Yeah, and that's that is essentially the difference. One team took their opportunity; the other team didn't. Yeah, it's a big enough swing. Otherwise, we'd be looking at the Grand Slam this weekend. Right, I want to play everybody a clip here. We have um, the legendary Jim Telfer. He was talking during the week about Ireland. Have a listen. They're a reasonably good side, uh, as they have been over the over the years. Uh, they're not world beaters. Joe Smith's a good coach, but I think he's sometimes, you know, think uh, they think he's a messiah because he's won so much. Well, he looked pretty ordinary on Saturday, and on Saturday, I think Gatlin won the, the battle of the tactics there. We've got uh, Andy Nicholl, the former Scotland scrum half, on the line. Andy, Jim Telfer, legendary uh, motivational speaker. Is is that the, the speech this week that everybody around Scotland is thinking, here's our time to get off the mark in this tournament? I just took attention when I heard Jim Telfer's voice there. <laughs> I think he's got that respect for all the Scotland players. But oh, listen, we've been, we've been waiting for uh, Scotland to, to get a performance and get a result. Um, so far in the Six Nations. So we've only got one day left. So uh, we're going to have a crack tomorrow, see how we get on. Tell us what has gone wrong over the course of the tournament because heading into it, I think there's a genuine sense of excitement that there was progress being made under Vern Cotter. Yeah, there was. And, and I think that was genuine um, confidence as well based on the autumn test where it's been um, pretty good against Argentina, and New Zealand and Tonga. Glasgow sitting top of the Pro 12, obviously the nucleus of the Scotland team came from Glasgow, so there was there was sort of uh, confidence, and you know the, the first two games could so easily have gone Scotland's way. Now they didn't, and that's the the reality. We've, the problem is that Scotland have only played really for for um, fits and starts, maybe twenty minutes here, forty minutes possibly against France, um, only twenty minutes against England last week, and and you can't win international games of rugby by by playing for twenty, forty, even sixty minutes. You need to put in a, a complete performance. So I've seen enough of in those moments when Scotland I think have got the makings of a good side. They just need the consistency and they need to deliver for the full match. Brian, where does where will that consistency come from? How do they go from being a team that plays for twenty, forty minutes? Um, well, yeah, you start with 20, you go 40, you go 60, and then eventually you put in a big performance. We, you know, Ireland have, have um, prior to Joe Schmidt, for years struggled for any form of consistency. They were able to produce a big win or you know, a couple of big wins, and then they'd fall on, on their faces against a perceived you know, lesser nation. So um, only now are they getting to that consistent level. I think the more time they, they spend with with uh, Vern Cotter, uh, the better they will get. I, I, I've i been a bit surprised. I thought they were going to advance a bit quicker than they have done, and I'm surprised they haven't got a victory um, thus far. But um, I, I, I suppose I, I'm a bit lost in that I don't see their pack being anything fantastic. They've got you know reasonable halfbacks, an exciting back three, but nothing really that stands out that kind of scares you. Yeah. Um and tactically if you if if you have that team you you've got to get them all playing together and then you've got to get your tactics right. So I don't think any of that has properly happened for Scotland yet and 
I suppose be hopeful that it doesn't happen Saturday, but with the Vern Cotter, Joe Schmidt thing going on, there's an extra dynamic to it, having having both coached together in Claremont, and, and Vern will know the inside workings of Joe, know all his power plays and what he likes to go to, so there might be a little bit more of a game of chess. Um, there, there, there usually is, there might be even more of a game of chess against Scotland this weekend. Yeah, Andy, are you fairly confident that actually there will be a, a performance? Because we're kind of wondering what is the specific philosophy that Scotland are trying to to espouse at the moment? What is their identity? Yeah, um, Van Cotter's come in and he's tried to identify what's the, the best way for, for Scotland um, as a nation, um, as much as uh, as a team to play. And uh, he's gone back to a little basics. He's got them playing in a, in a simple way, which is very much is a, is a New Zealand trait, isn't it? It's what Gavin does, it's what Joe Schmidt does as well. So um, they've just not done it well. And and the the... They've got they've got the makings. I think of a good. I think in in sort of eight, ten, twelve months. I think this next Six Nations. I think the Scotland team, if they can keep together, don't get the injuries like they just had with Alex and Barr, who's a big loss. Um, I think that there's enough there to, to to turn this around. But they just they've got to do it on the big stage. And the Six Nations is a, is a brutally tough environment. If you're just not off your if you're off your game slightly for even ten, fifteen minutes in the game, you can lose. And and that's what's happened for Scotland. We, listen, we've been in, we've been whitewashed uh, what three times in the Six Nations, and we could easily play well tomorrow and lose to Ireland. And it doesn't feel like a whitewash, if you know what I mean. I know that sounds you're, you're trying to pick the positives out, but there's been enough of in in, a, in every game where you think actually there's the makings of good side. A few years ago, when we got whitewashed, we could have still been playing in those five games, and we wouldn't have won any of them. So there, there, there is. That's where I take a wee bit of confidence, but yeah, at some point you've got to realise that potential and start winning games. Is, is Vern Cotter going to stay around? Because there, like, there was a story this week linking Joe and Vern with the uh, as some kind of dream ticket for the All Black gig sooner rather than later. I, as far as I know, Cotter is only tied down to Scotland for the end of this World Cup. That's right. Um, I've heard a lot of these rumours as well. So um, I think possibly what happens in the World Cup might be a big determining factor in that. Um, listen, I've been impressed with him. Um, he's done everything right so far, um, albeit Scotland have not won games, and he'll be judged by Andy Robinson's a great example. Andy Robinson had a fantastic record on uh, tours and on the autumn test, but in the Six Nations, it was appalling. He won one game in 15 over a period, and and Vern Cotter will be judged by that. And if we, I, I say, we could lose uh, tomorrow and lose all games in the Six Nations. So, um, yeah, he's not down in a long-term contract, and um, that worries me a wee bit because uh, you need that consistency. We've talked about consistency on the pitch. You only get that really when you get consistency off it as well. Andy, enjoy the game. Thanks a million for talking to us. Thank you. Andy Nichol giving us his thoughts there. I want to talk about Luke Fitzgerald who's back in the team. Um, I, I think Simon Zeal was probably looking at last week's performance and going, here, well, me, it was my fault. So mm. How did that happen? But um, Luke Fitzgerald, bulletproof confidence is like, no, I deserve to be in the team. I'm... I don't feel lucky to be back, was the, the quote. And that's kind of what you want to hear. Yeah, I think Luke, he probably felt that he should have been in earlier. And he'd been playing well for Leinster, albeit he played a lot of 13 uh, over in December and, and, and January. But Joe you know, kind of marked his cards when he picked him in the in the A team to play in the wing before he, he picked up a 24-hour bug. So he, he sees him as a winger. And um, and so Luke, he's gone, uh, gone about his business and trained away. And now he's been given his opportunity. Look at Zeebs. You know, it's it's hard to leave a team unchanged when you've had a loss like that. Yeah. And there has to be, not, not necessarily a fall guy, but it's, you know, just to shake things up, to keep everyone on their toes saying, you know, just because, you know, um, 
we've we've lost and everyone's you know remained in the in, in their places don't get comfortable by by replacing two guys it just makes everyone you know reminds everyone that you know, if I don't have that performance this week it could be me the following week if if that try had gone over at the end like you said and it was a draw there would be no changes Quite it's possibly weird, absolutely it? it's, it's bizarre decision. you know it's bizarre yeah. and um I'm trying, I I tried to look at Zeeves' game and analyse, you know, what it, what it was. There's a few things that Joe was really big on, and it's um, it's body fight in the ta- in in the tackle. So when you're tackled, that you then fight even harder than you have yeah. been in in attack. Zeeves not good at that, and he's it's not his strong point. Okay. I would say he's improved at it. He's definitely gotten better at it. But with regard to really pushing the ball back and making it a clear target for guys to clear over and, and make it very presentable to the halfback. You know, I watched some of the rooks and I would say, you know, he, he spilled one. He got ripped by Sam Warburton and a couple of times the ball got stuck underneath him. He ended up on his back once or twice. It's yeah. a real pet, pet hate of Joe's. Don't ever end up on your back. You should be able to fight your way onto being on your front and then p- present that ball. So, you know, there's a couple of those things that I'm sure he probably said to Simon this week that you can work on and um, I'm sure he'll go away and, and continue to do that. Is there an argument that maybe Luke could be starting 13, that Jared Payne was also in the firing line? Obviously, Joe Schmidt came out and defended him very heavily. Well, I just think that Joe has decided that his centre pairing is Henshaw and Payne. And when you've you've brought two new guys in like that and they played played well against Australia and then didn't get an opportunity again until... Italy and now they've had four games in a row together. Like it, it's it would be um, it would be late in the in the game to be changing your centre pairing now and trying to get a bit of chemistry between a Robbie and a Luke. To yeah. to you know, Robbie's new to the game. Jared's kind of, albeit he's only twenty seven or twenty eight, he's kind of a bit of a wise old head. So it it's a it's a marrying of of two contrasting styles. So I think. What Jared maybe doesn't bring from a major spark point of view, because again, he, I think he's better at fifteen. I think he brings this huge solidity and 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 strength, particularly defensively, to the ten, twelve, thirteen axis. So, um, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see Joe changing that up. He's 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 played the Six Nations with the two of them there. I think it's going to remain that way. So, um, you know, maybe there's only scope for guys uh, on you know in the back three to to make their way in, and obviously Andrew Trimble and, and Dave Carney when they're back fully fit, um, will push for for opportunities to start and, and or even get in the twenty three as well. Yeah. Is, is thirteen a position? Which is more important? Is a fifty fifty between defending and spark, or is thirteen a position where like a spark is a little bit more important than your defensive game? It depends on what way you look at the game. What way? Are you a very attack-orientated coach? I, I personally would want a, a strong defensive thirteen before I'd want a strong attacking thirteen. All right, um, because it, it, it is, I believe, to be is the most difficult position to defend on the pitch. So you need someone first and foremost to be able to defend there, and then if they're able to, um, you know, play and distribute well and run some good lines, uh, all of the things that Jared I know is he's it's going to come, guys. Just be patient. <laughs> it's going to come. He, I think he, he did show great touches against Italy, and and it hasn't happened as I thought it might do. But you know, there's still you live in hope. There's still eighty five or eighty six minutes tomorrow afternoon. Exactly. For, yeah. All right. Well, you're uh, going to get to your text in just a moment, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to win our competition tonight. It's just over a week until Ireland restart their Euro 2016 campaign against Poland at Lansdowne Road. And with thanks to our show sponsor, Ford, we've got a pair of tickets to give away for the game on Sunday week, the 29th of March, every night this week. To be with a chance of winning tonight's pair, tell us who's Ireland's top scorer in the qualifiers so far. 
scored a hat-trick against Gibraltar. Who is it? Text forward along with your name and your answer. Send the message to 5316 and we'll announce tonight's winner later on this hour. Back right after these. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. With the arrival of the brand new 151 Ford range, a transfer is definitely on the cards. Ford, go further. Uh, Gareth Flynn on Twitter wants to know, do they have to call the referee sir? It's really strange, especially coming from Sean O'Brien. I, I thought at one point he was calling him Mr, but uh, I was wrong about that. Um, no, but... You know, who doesn't like to be called, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I'd get my attention if someone trick. does. It would be like, I think you'd be talking to my dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, is it at all feasible that Scotland can put in a performance and beat us? There hasn't been an upset this year. And as an Irishman, nothing makes me more nervous than a favourites tag. It's feasible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, I just think Scotland potentially have a performance. They're, they're, they're not as bad. I, I agree with Andy in many ways that they're not as bad as four losses would um, would suggest, but I just think that we've got better players than them, so we should be able to see it through. They're going to be the best whitewashed team of uh, all time in the Six Nations. Some record. Um, and how, Cormac also wants to know, how many can we put past them? This is a good question. What's a legitimate score for us to actually be aiming for? Like, if you get 20 in Murrayfield, I think that's that's a good scoreline. And you have to try and keep them to nine? That'd yeah. Be like 26 or 29 or something's probably... Yeah, that's probably not going to be enough of that. No, I, I, th- I still think England are going to have a good win against France. Do you think we're underestimating a Scottish team that maybe should have beaten Wales, asks Munster Hacker. They shouldn't. They shouldn't have beaten Wales. They absolutely shouldn't. They probably played... Uh, I only saw... I didn't see all of the, the French game, Scottish-French game, and I know they played well in the first half, but um, Wales were comfortable enough winners. They got to try uh, to get them within four points at the death. Yeah. And no. Um, Wales were should we have bonus enough. points and all that kind of stuff in this tournament yeah, wouldn't that like and I th- but, uh, you, you lose this final day excitement when Maybe, it's such yeah. small numbers I think bonus points are can, can be good sometimes for for um, big numbered competitions yeah. uh, I know they do it in the rugby championship but I don't know I, I like the I, I like the idea of keeping it old school sure that's making up anyway uh, can you ask Brian if he thinks there's any point in taking penalty kicks against the Scottish why not bang everything into the corner and push to get as many tries as possible because that wanted to antagonise the Scottish crowd <laughs> yeah you, you, you like there's someone that has never played in Murrayfield it's um, it's, a, it's you've to, you to grind it out and it would be lovely to get an early score and then just and, and play I, I reckon they, they will play I hope the conditions do allow to play a little bit more but people think oh we haven't been very exciting I thought we played some good stuff last week we did, it didn't always work out but when you're able to play I don't know many Irish teams that have been able to go to, through 32 phases before Yeah and isn't there a strong likelihood that in the middle of that Wales actually committed about 6 or 7 fouls and should have been penalised well there's a few there's a couple but listen in a 32 phase you're going to have a few a few guys giving away penalties but Wales did I thought one thing on, on Wales one thing they did very well was they did what we'd been really good of identifying when the rook was there to have a go at or yeah. whether just to leave it off a lot of the time they just committed to one one rook one or may, maximum two people per rook uh, what do you think of Ireland going for the corner twice why didn't they go for the post like Wales asks Alan in Kildare no I think they were good calls um, just you've got to go with the with your gut of how you feel the swing is going and whether you have have the, the, the Ireland Ireland back their mall too and think it's one of their real strengths. So yeah, play to that. You kind of need to win the line out though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but 
you know, that's that's secondary to you know, being excellent at mauling. Uh, is the lack of space for backlines coming from touch judges not refereeing the offside rule? No space for creativity, asks Keith Mongan. Yeah, but do you know what I, what I noticed about Wales too is they, in attack, were striking from so much more depth. So they were encouraging, and they played five, you know, ten or fifteen yards behind the gain line at yeah. times. But yet they were still able to get it out into the wide spaces and and had us under pressure on a few occasions. Yeah. So maybe that's something that other teams should look at. I think Rob Howley's kind of is is very clever and astute in in identifying that sort of. Um, those the capabilities of a team to be able to do that. Yeah, it was good too that they didn't bring Sean Edwards on the last lines tour so everybody could pick his brains about how he was going to defend against us for this tournament and yeah, the World Cup. You're right. Uh, what does Henderson have to do to get a start at second row or at six, asks Andrew from Bray. He was pretty good when he came on. He playing the way he is. Yeah, I don't think he's... I said the start of the Six Nations after his performance in the A-team that he'll be pushing hard come World Cup time for, uh, for a start with Paulie. It's unfortunate he makes such an impact, isn't it? You know, because now he might be just seen as that type of player. Until you get, you know, you until you get a game, you'll get a start in in um, in August in one of the World Cup warm ups. And if he goes really well, well, the only thing about Devon Toner is ordinarily, usually he's guaranteed lineup all. So um, yeah, you're 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 losing that. But Henderson adds an awful lot around the park. He's so explosive. Two very quick ones. Was Brian glad to see Ross Cray winning the Leinster Senior Cup? I suppose it made Black Rock's loss a little easier to take that they went on to win it. Ecstatic. <laughs> and then, can you ask at Brian or Driscoll how many points he had in Port Marnock today? Rory, to you, wants to know on Twitter. Um, 70, 39. He had a 78. That was oh what God. he was saying. It's not bad. Uh, right, we're going to do it? We're going to beat Scotland? Yes, yeah, we'll beat Scotland. I just think that England might have too much for us. All right, Brian, thanks very much. We'll see you again real soon. The crappy quiz is uh, for your delectation standing by and is up in about uh, three and a half, four minutes' time. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. This season calls for a change off the pitch and on the road. For a quality 151 offer, you know where to turn. Ford, go further.